Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all enjoying your summer. Um, I'm naturally a big winter person, and so I love Colorado because I love to ski. But I think there's something really special about the summer in Colorado. It just opens up the whole world for us. It's so accessible. There's so many parks. Um, Denver, in particular, is such a great place to live in the summer. So I hope you all have been enjoying it. I hope it hasn't been too hot for everyone this past week. Um, We've gotten a lot of time this summer to go camping, uh, something that me and my husband love to do. And we were actually camping 4th of July weekend with some friends. And we had such a great time. We were driving up to a campsite I'd never been to before. It was on the backside of Berthoud Pass, if you know where that is. And we're driving up, and there's like wildflowers everywhere as we're driving up. And I'm crying in the car, and my husband's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, oh, the flowers, they're so beautiful. And we get to the campsite, and we made a great dinner, and we had great community with my friends. And we were dancing and singing and laughing with one another. We had some friends who came up a little bit later, and so we're all sitting around a campfire having a great time, and they come and join us, and we continue to laugh and have a good time with one another. And um, one of our friends, he loves podcasts. He loves to listen to them. It's his favorite thing to do. He listens to them all the time, particularly ones about theology. And we like to joke with him that every week he has this, like, life crisis because of a podcast that he listens to. He has listens to a podcast that comes up with some theological idea that he had never thought of, and then he has to talk to everyone about it, and he has to ask you about it. And so we're sitting around the campfire, and we're all laughing, we're all having a good time, it's casual, and out of the blue he goes, so, what do you guys think about the end times? And we go into this deep discussion in, around this campfire, and me, I personally will admit, I don't know much about what I believe about the end times. I've read Revelation, I've studied a little bit, but I'm probably, like, I haven't written my PhD on it. I don't know, I haven't written my PhD on anything because I don't have it, but I don't know much about it. But being me and who I am, I dive into this conversation as if I am the expert, as if I wrote Revelation myself. I am debating with him and we're sitting there and some people kind of join in, but it's mostly like me and him having this conversation. We love having these debates. Neither of us are qualified to be having this conversation. He's just quoting the podcast. That's it. And slowly, our friends start to like sneak away to their tents and we just totally killed the mood of the entire night. And eventually it's just us sitting there and then his wife and My husband, Sam, was sitting there. I think he was asleep in his camp chair. And by the end of this kind of conversation, we came around to start talking about creation. And we're sitting in this beautiful place under the stars, camping. And we start talking about the environment and creation and nature. And does creation stand on its own? Or is God happy with creation because of how it interacts with humanity? And after that conversation, um, I really started to think about this. And living in Colorado and being outside all the time, What's my job when it comes to creation as a Christian? And then I read this book um, called Conform to the Image of His Son, which is what I'm gonna draw a lot from today. And it's looking at Romans 8, 18 through 30, what we just read. And the book is really academic, so I'm gonna try to break it down. If you want it, I can recommend it to you, but um, it's pretty wordy. (laughs) And so we're gonna jump into this and we're gonna talk about how we interact with creation as Christians and what Paul has to say to it in Romans. 
So we're going to start in verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so the first thing I want to point out in, um, in this passage, Paul, all throughout Romans, the, the Roman people lived really, really closely to like the politics of the time and the society of the time. There was a lot of propaganda in ancient Rome, and the people were really familiar with that. And Paul pulls on those on t- Roman terms all the time. Actually, the term adoption of sons is not a Jewish term. You don't find that in Jewish literature almost anywhere. It's a Roman term that Paul brings into this idea of Christianity to help people understand it. But the term eager that he uses both for creation and also for us is not found anywhere in other Roman ancient literature. This word eager is a Christian term. And so when this letter was being read to the church in Rome, they would have known that this eager longing that creation has and this eager longing that we have is because of our relationship with Christ. As we enter into a relationship with Christ, we get this feeling in the pit of our stomach. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's this tension that we feel in us of, I am a saved, redeemed creation in Christ and what he did on the cross but I also live in a really broken world. And you live with this tension and there's this eager longing that sits in the pit of our stomach that we know as Christians. And Paul's pulling on that. He's saying, you can't get this anywhere else. You don't get this from politics. You don't get this from your government. You don't get this from your country. You don't get this from society. This is something that you feel as you're walking with Christ as a Christian. And so that's the first thing I wanna point out about this um, passage. Another thing is, Throughout Romans, Paul pulls a lot on um, ancient Jewish men and women in the Bible. And so here, he's talking about creation being subjected to futility by him who subjected it. That him he's talking about is Adam. And so he's bringing this idea of God's firstborn son, Adam, who was created in the Garden of Eden. And Adam was given these rights as God's first creation. He was given dominion over the earth, He was naming the animals, giving them purpose, giving them a calling. And then, of course, Adam and Eve in the garden ate of the fruit and they fell. And what happened in that moment was that Adam and Eve brought in the reign of sin and death. They were separated from God. And now, as people, we come from this lineage of Adam. We're underneath this reign of sin and death. And we're eagerly longing for the redemption of our bodies. And so this is where Paul kind of starts this first Adam idea, Adam from the garden. And then we're going to continue on and see how that becomes Christ. So verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches the hearts 
And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so in this verse, verse 24, it switches from this future tense, redemption of our bodies, redemption of creation, at the end times, <laughs> and it switches to a present tense, for in this hope we were saved right now. We were saved because of this hope. And the Spirit intercedes for us. And so we're kind of shifting back, looking future, and shifting back to the present. And what it says is the Spirit in our weakness groans, to, with, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It brings back that idea of groaning that it talked about in the verses before. The groaning of creation as it eagerly waits for the redemption, and the groaning of us as we eagerly wait for the redemption. And so the Spirit, as it intercedes for us, it intercedes for us in our weakness and in our suffering. I think this suffering that Paul's talking about, of course, there's so many examples in the Bible of Paul suffering physically and suffering emotionally and being lonely and those things that we think of in suffering. And we use verse 18 all the time in the church to give us hope in our present suffering. But Paul doesn't really talk about those things in the section of scripture. What he's talking about is this uncomfortable groaning that we have living in this tension between being children of God, being saved by Christ, being redeemed in our spirit, and having bodies that are still broken and living in a world that's still broken. But the spirit, when it intercedes for us, it's not taking away those groanings. It's adding groanings that are too deep for us to even explain. The point of the spirit is to live in us, to indwell in us, to empower us, but also to continue to put us in a place where we are searching for God to keep those groanings in our stomachs that we're always, every single day, going back to the cross, going back to Christ, trying to learn more and be closer and closer to him, to know that we live in a broken world and what do we do with that? We go to Christ and we look to Christ and we become like Christ. And that's the point of the spirit and that's what the suffering that Paul is talking about, both for us and for creation. And another thing I wanna note that's not entirely linked to the logic of what I'm going with today, but I really think it's important that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Oftentimes in the church, we spend so much time talking about how we're sinners and how we need to be saved and how we need to pick up our cross and die to our sin. But Paul here, he calls us saints. That we do have this future redemption, this redemption of our bodies that we're waiting for, that we're eagerly searching for. We know what we have in the future. But today, we're not just a bunch of sitters, sinners sitting in a room. We're saints who are redeemed by God, who happen to sin because we live in a broken world. We aren't perfect, but we are saints. And I think that mind shift is so important if we're going to live as God has called us to. If we're going to conform to the image of the Son, we have to have this identity as saints, knowing that we can stand confidently in front of God as redeemed people because of what Christ did on the Spirit, not because of anything that we did. And so we're going to continue into the last part of this scripture, 28 through 30, and it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. And there are those two words that consume us when we read this passage, that it's so overshadowed, even in academic literature, we talk about foreknown and predestined, and we get so caught up in this debate. And whichever side of the predestination word you sit on, 
This morning, let's put those away, and let's try to consider that maybe Paul was not talking about Calvin when he wrote this thousands of years before Calvin was born. (laughs) But this idea of being foreknown and predestined in the plan of God is that you're not a mistake. You didn't sneak in the back door, and you're just like sitting in the corner hoping God doesn't notice that you made it into heaven. God planned for you to be here. You're part of his plan. You're part of his purpose. And as that, he's called you, and he has justified you. What does that mean? He sent Christ to die on a cross for our sins to justify us in his perfect, holy, holy image that Christ represents. And so we're predestined, we're part of the plan, we're called, and we're justified. And then there's the last part, we're glorified. And this word glorified, again, it isn't in the future tense. Paul is very specific in the tense that he uses for this verb. We're glorified right now, today. We're glorified in Christ and what he did on the cross. And so as this whole section comes to the end, Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, and nor that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And I think the verse we read this morning said brothers and sisters, and there's a lot of places because ancient Greek is a very um, patriarchal language, I think there's often places where we should translate brothers and sisters. Of course, the, the kingdom of God is not only for the men, but in this particular spot, I think brothers is really fitting. And as we say adoption of sons, I think that's really important. This Roman idea of adoption as sons means something different than the Roman idea of adoption as daughters. Sons were adopted, and when they were adopted, they had full inheritance of what the son gets from his father. And so Christ died on the cross, and we're going back to this idea of Adam, the firstborn son. And then we have Israel, who some say is kind of like this second firstborn son. Israel is God's people through whom he plans to redeem the whole world. When Adam was called to be conformed to the image of the Trinity in his creation, the first thing he was given was dominion over the earth. And he was given the opportunity to name the animals and the plants. And naming in this time gave you purpose, it gave you meaning. It was what you were called into was your name. And then Adam failed and he fell and he brought the sin of, the reign of sin and death. And then Israel, God brings up this nation And he promises them the Holy Land. And then later in the prophets, we see that Israel is promised the whole creation, all of the world. If only they would follow Christ and be faithful, sorry, follow God and be faithful to him. But what happened? Israel failed. And so God sends his son to live a perfect life, a sinless life, to die on a cross, to be raised again. Christ now is the firstborn son, the second Adam, and what does that mean? The reign of sin and death that, br- that Adam brought into the world is no longer. The reign of peace and glory and forgiveness and kindness and love. This is the reign that we now live under. As brothers to Christ, as sons of God adopted into his family. And to be conformed to the image of his son can mean a lot of things, and there's a lot of places in scripture that tell us to emulate Christ's behavior. What would Jesus do? (laughs) But here, again, Paul isn't really talking about that. He's talking about the adoption of sons. He's talking about the inheritance. And so as we follow Christ, as we conform to his image as brothers, as sons and daughters of God, we're inheriting what Christ did, 
alongside him. What did Adam inherit when he was the son of God? He inherited creation. And what was Israel supposed to inherit? They were supposed to inherit creation and the whole world and dominion and sovereignty and power over it. And they failed and they failed and Christ didn't fail. Christ now has sovereignty and power. His inheritance from the Lord is power and sovereignty over creation. And now we step into that with him. We're glorified with Jesus, which means we have power and sovereignty over creation. And before any of you get ahead of me and you think, oh, great, she's standing up here giving an entire sermon to get us to recycle more. That's not what I'm doing. Although I love recycling, I think we all should. I'm going to email my HOA to give us a recycling bin because they won't. But if this passage and talking about creation and being, having power over creation, if it just meant that we should recycle, then that wouldn't have meant, this scripture would have meant nothing until like 50 years ago, right? So it has to be something more with that, although I think that's part of it. I mean, we look at the purpose, we're called, like it says in verse 18, according to his purpose. Adam was supposed to give purpose and meaning to creation. And so as inheritors of power over creation, we are called to allow creation to fulfill its purposes that God has given it. And back in Romans 1, the beginning of this letter, Paul says in verse 19 and 20, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. What is the purpose of creation? What is the purpose of the environment? What's the purpose of nature in this world that we live in? It's this really, really, really elaborate metaphor for everything that God is. He created the sun and the moon, and he said, no, that doesn't quite describe me well enough. And he created the oceans, and he created the land and the mountains, and he said, no, that doesn't quite describe me well enough. And he creates every single animal and every living being, and he says, you know, that doesn't quite describe me well enough, and he creates human beings. And every one of us are different, and every one of us give a different part of Christ and of God and of the Trinity. Creation's purpose is to bring praise to God. Creation's purpose is for us to know something about him that we didn't know before. Do we look at the mountains and do we say, man, Lord, you were so big. I, two years ago, yeah, two summers ago, I did a rafting trip down the Grand Canyon and it was 16 days long. It was arguably horrible, but it was also amazing. <laughs> And I was going through, I mean, these waves, like nothing you know, 20-foot waves coming over an 18-foot raft with everything I have on it. And I would wake up in the morning at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I would look up at these huge rock walls, and I would say, Lord, you are so big, and you are so powerful. Do we walk down the street, and do we see a flower growing through the sidewalk? And do we stop and say, Lord, you are a provider in places that things shouldn't grow, that life shouldn't exist, Lord, you bring up life. And maybe that's too simple. Maybe what I'm saying about us being, having dominion over creation by just allowing creation to bring glory to God, maybe it's too simple, but also maybe that's the point. Maybe sometimes we like to listen to podcasts and talk about the end times and struggle with these theological ideas, and I love to do that, I think it's so fun. But maybe the gospel and a relationship with Jesus is really, really simple. Maybe it's just praising God. Maybe it's just allowing creation to bring God praises. 
I know Brandon loves to go off-roading, and he has the vehicle that's capable, and he has the skills, and of course he does that just to have fun himself. But he also takes opportunity to bring others alongside him and to praise God at the top of a mountain and say, man, that was so fun. Look what God gave us. Oh, look at this mountainside. God is so good. Let's praise him for a moment. Do we bring others into creation and praise creation alongside them that they might say, why did that person just look at that flower growing out of the sidewalk and praise God? That seems silly. But would we plant those seeds? We allow creation to do its purpose, to fulfill God's purpose for it. I'm going to finish by reading <clears throat> this passage from Douglas Moo. He has a book called Creation Care. And I think this passage really gets at um, what, I'm, what I'm going for here. It says, Yet the texts that we have examined make it unmistakably clear that this world that God made continues to testify to its creator and to reveal the glory of God. Whatever we think about the limitations and possibilities of natural theology, we should not miss the fact that in light of scripture and in light of Christ, we ought to be enabled all the more to discern the, the beauty and power and glory of God as is revealed in the things he has made. To become a follower of Christ is to have the world opened up to us as it really is, shot through the grandeur of God. Above all, then, we must supplement our care for the poor and our protection of the gospel with an attitude toward this world as God's creation, broadening our praise of him as the creator and the redeemer. Perhaps then we can more confidently hope that others will be drawn into the vision of reality held out to us in scripture that come by God's grace to know and worship him as well. As Christians, let's go out into Colorado in this place that we are so blessed to live in. Let's take the abilities that we have, the resources that we have, let's bring others into nature and into the world with us and say, oh, look what God has done. What can we know about God from the trees? What can we know about God from the Rocky Mountains? And you don't have to be the type of person that's going to go to the forest and sing kumbaya to the Lord. You don't have to be a hippie. You don't even have to like hiking. There's nature all around us. There's creation all around us. There's the stars and there's the sun and there's the moon and there's the flower that grows out of the sidewalk. Let us be people who call God creator and give him power and glory and bring others into a relationship with Christ through the tools that he gave us. I'm gonna pray. Dear Lord, thank you so, so much for this elaborate metaphor you've given us to know you. Would we take the time out of our busy lives to call upon your name, to look at the sun and let it warm our skin and say, Lord, thank you for providing for me, for my physical body and for my soul, Lord. Would we go out into the mountains? Would we look west? And when we say, Lord, you are big, and we praise you. And then would we bring others who don't know you yet into that, Lord? Would we help them to see you and to know you through what you've created, Lord? Not only through us as people, but through your creation. We praise you, God, with everything that we have. It's in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.